Hello and welcome to the Swimming Ideas Podcast. My name is Jeff and I will be your host for today. This is episode number 77, Central State Swim Clinic, part two. Today we are talking about Bob Bowman and his strategies for running a competitive club swim team or non-high school team and the structure that he uses when or he used when he ran a club team and Dr. Alan Goldberg's talk on how to work with your parents and not against them, how to get them on your side. I know you're excited. I am too. Let's get started. right we're talking about central state swim clinic and the things we learned at it for uh, usa swimming and i believe it was aska that hosted it Um, i'm not entirely certain exactly who the hosts were Um, it looks like it was just the central state swim clinic so um, whoever their affiliation is with but i went there as part of our level four uh, usa swimming team and uh, went to the talks in the mornings And I'm going to start with Bob Bowman and some of the key things that he talked about regarding setting up a club swim team and kind of just the general thoughts on how to organize a team and establish it to get the best results for uh, your high performance group. Uh, So he basically he broke up his uh, groups into a series of different names. I'm not really going to go into the detail there. I'm just going to kind of highlight some of the excellent things that he did talked about that I thought were very important to repeat. Um, The structure really doesn't matter. Um, Basically, you can consider it like almost everybody does. Beginners, uh, middle people, advanced, high advanced, and then your committed performance people. Uh, And his general, and he broke it up generally by age group, and then within each age group was different ability levels. So uh, I think it was like eight and unders, and then 9, 10, and then 11, 12, or 11 to 13, and then uh, 13 to seven, thirteen to 16, and 16 plus, and then college age. Um, and then there's different variances there. So performance and high performance and um, things like that. So not as important exactly what the different groups were, more like developmental, the challenge, and then the ultra performance, I think are the three groups I've put in my notes here. Uh, but the first thing is, there has to be some sort of training progression. Um, there should be, according to Bob, and this just seems to make sense, um, a very logical progression in ability level and increasing uh, demands on the training and the performance of the individuals as they progress through the program. Uh, so the ultimate goal for Bob Oman's groups were Olympic success and then like world success, right? So he's training people from the start to be Olympic gold medalist like Michael Phelps. Um, And he says that your success at the college level is extremely dependent on the progress um, and the connection of your program. So making sure that all pieces are aligned, aiming at the same thing, so that later on at the end of the program chain, you have 
high successful people that are already uh, developed the key tenants to being successful in the swim pool. Um, how well are your groups preparing the swimmers for training? That's That was really the big uh, thing here. So are you making sure that the way you're designing your swim program is effectively layering in ever more complicated skills and um, important training things? And his... He his main point was more that it isn't about um, the yardage. It's not about the type of sets that you do. He gave us like all the sets that he does, which, to be honest, are not very useful. Um, you know, sets are a dime a dozen. Everyone does variations on the same thing. What you're looking at when you look at other people's sets. So like I share my Trello board for $9.99 a month because we do a lot of weird stuff that's fun. Uh, we have a high emphasis on learning and interest and fun and process. Uh, but once you kind of get the idea of it, there's there's something like a 100 different skills, but we just swap them in and out every day based on what we're doing. So once you understand the formula, uh, you get a really good feel for how to do it yourself. So, um, But I share that with you because it's a great way to share these ideas for someone who may not necessarily be comfortable coming up with them on their own. Uh, But so I guess, I mean, it was a good thing that he handed out like all of his practices. But um, my point in this is that his emphasis when he was speaking was more on the character. And this was echoed in Josh Davis's talk, the three-time Olympian in the 200 freestyle, I believe. Uh, he was talking about it's more about the character of the athlete than it is the um, uh, their ability in the water, like the resiliency of the swimmer. Are they are they focused on putting in the hard work and the effort and getting better and focusing to, on technique in order to improve? Are they challenging themselves with their physical body and their physical um strength and and activity at practice? Are they approaching each practice as an opportunity to improve? Those are the main things. Those are the the personality traits that you want to foster and train. I say that um, tongue in cheek a little bit, but develop throughout your program. So does your program both increase in um, difficulty, but also increase in establishing these good training habits that are going to come into play later on when you have the demands of social lives, you have other activities that may be a priority, but are you going to swim practice? So um, that's kind of what he was talking about. Um, He says your best technique uh, under stress or when you're under fatigue. So uh, the goal here is training high fatigue so tire your swimmers out at practice and then demand excellent technique when they're tired when they are um, stressed out Um, that way when they go to a swim meet they know what to do and they have it ingrained in them so and that kind of plays along to a lot of the things that I've spoken about both on this podcast and in the blog uh, is basically uh, we're looking to establish habit right? So that's why we do a lot of repetition stuff. That's why we do a lot of short distance swimming as a beginner. So we can establish habit early. And then so they don't have to think about it when they're racing, they can think about their race strategy, Um, you know, stroke count or um, general things, or they don't have to think at all, they can just go 
and the technique is innate. It's, it's built in. It is automatic. So what Bob Bowman does is he gives opportunities to practice excellent technique under stress and under fatigue. So his, his lesson plans, like his, his, uh, his lesson plans, his practices are aimed at the singular focus of providing an opportunity to be stressed out and tired or fatigued and then demanding excellence in those moments. So maybe he'll have a longer set that, uh, or, or like that gets your, your fatigue up because you're tired because you've been swimming a lot, but then he'll demand like a, uh, a sprint set that requires excellent technique. And it's, it's the effort here. And that requires a strong mental commitment to swimming because it, um, you're, you're tired, you're sore. Uh, you have to have that resiliency, that, that character that Josh Davis was talking about in order to perform well under that situation. So, um, that was kind of the main thing that he had. I'm going to copy my notes here and put them in the show notes as well. They're handwritten, but, uh, you should be able to see it pretty easily. Um, uh, like, uh, so you have to train or you have to trust. Another big thing that he was talking about is that you have to trust the coach and trust in the process and that your swimmers have to believe in you. They have to want to do it. So the question is, how do you motivate your swimmers to be, to trust you? All right. So how do you motivate your swimmers to believe in you and the process that you're building them? So it's through leadership, it's through shared effort, through trust, through belief. And this comes down to the fundamental difference of a leader. Are you the leader that is feared or are you the leader that is respected? And I I see very often coaches that just yell and they're feared. They use their size and their, their, their adulthood to intimidate their younger swimmers, whether it's overt or not, uh, it gets results, but it's not the healthy version of working with children. You don't want to be the bully intimidating your, your swimmers in your groups to get results. You want to be, you want to earn their trust in your process. You want them to, um, respect you and do things not because you're telling them to do them, but because they want to do them. So in my approach is I believe it's my job to open the door for swimmers. So we're going to provide a framework. We're going to provide a, a progress, a layered in step-by-step process there. Once you start doing well with this thing, we'll start layering in more challenging uh, activities and then uh, requiring excellence at those activities before we move on to the next group. And uh, what we what I've seen is when I had a, a three-group progression, um, and I talked about this last week, when I had a three-group progression, it was really easy to see the level of trust and respect that my swimmers had for me in that third group because they'd gone through the first two steps of, I don't want to call it weeding out, but um, demonstration of interest and ability and effort. And by the third group, they were doing so many challenging things that were just naturally flowing along the progression that I had in place for them, that they were able to accomplish really difficult things at a very young age. So I had seven and eight year olds excelling going to regionals, which is the top, what, 20%, the middle, like the, the top 30%, the bottom 20 there. Um, performing in the state. And 
uh, our state is really fast, so that was really a good accomplishment. And they were really young for that. Um, and then there's a seven, who was a seven-year-old, I think he's still seven, he is eight or nine now, uh, who's setting state, uh, getting state cuts and setting team records. And this is a kid that um, went through our swim lesson program. He started when he was three and a half. He was with me for two and a half years. Um, he started on the swim team when he was five. Uh, and then when he was seven, he was getting regional cuts. And then the next year he got state cuts when he turned eight, I believe. So um, this kid's a superstar, but he's exceptional because of his attitude, because of his effort, because they're always at practice. They're, they're there. Um, but my point in saying this is that, it, that the progression, they trusted us. So when Bob Bowman was talking about how your swimmers have to trust you, how they have to believe in you and how, how, how they have to want to do it. Then I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is the way that I structure our program. I I'm waiting for them to show me interest and effort. And then I challenge them and give them more information and give them more feedback and, you know, initiate that feedback and trust loop where, all right, you've mastered this. Let's do something more challenging. Let's see what you can do. Um, and that's a really exciting time to be a coach because you can, you can feed off of that effort and you can really give them the benefit of your knowledge and your experience. Um, so it's through leadership, it's through shared effort. So you have to be putting in the effort into them in order for them to respond to you. So you can't be sitting on the side of the pool, watching them swim, doing nothing and gossiping with your assistant coaches and expect them to respect and trust you or buy into the program instead of socializing when you're at work or when you're coaching. My suggestion is you should be interacting with the swimmers at all times that for the hour and a half to two hours that you have with them, be engaged with your swimmers, not engaged with your, your, your assistant coaches doing nothing, right? Because if you're talking to your assistants, you're not actually doing anything with the kids and you're keeping your assistant coaches from doing it and you're setting a bad example. So be an active leader, uh, demonstrate effort, uh, trust them and believe in them. They'll believe in you. Um, and these are things from Bob Bowman. Like I said, you'll see these in the show notes. Um, let's say, um, the big thing, another big thing that he talked about was that practices are, uh, should be considered time. So don't think of your sets as like distances, like they did 400 yards. Think of it as time spent swimming. So instead he says, instead of thinking four fifties, think about 10 minutes of swimming, right? So and, and I generally think about this when I'm working with my developmental two group. And if you're looking at the Trello board and the practices that I have up there, you'll often see that it's broken up by short distance, long distance, and then um, some sort of learning skill or a drill and then a longer aerobic skill. And that's similar. It's not overtly what Bob is talking about here with the 10 minutes of swimming. Um, it's more about how can I provide them an opportunity to swim really well without getting too physically exhausted, but still aerobically challenge them? So oftentimes there'll be more kicking in a lot of the sets that I write than there is swimming. And that's because I want the swimming to be done really well. So I don't want them to be so exhausted that they fall back on sloppy swimming. I'd rather them do their aerobic stuff with their kicking sets or a portion of it kicking, or some, you know, it's not all just kicking for aerobic, but sometimes there's long distance swimming. Um, 
but I'd rather them focus their effort and energy, like their, their narrow attention span on a few shorter portions of the set and then let the longer, uh, kick be kick or with fins or, um, something that doesn't require a lot of physical, um, exacting perfection. So then they can not get bad habits when they're sore or tired. You know, you want them to have excellent habits that they demonstrate even when they're tired. And for beginners, um, you can't be giving them longer sets that they can't do well. And I would even argue in your more middling groups um, or advanced groups, if you see swimmers with sloppy swimming, no streamline or uh, lifting their head up or erratic body position, then you're doing something wrong because they're so exhausted, they're falling back on bad habits. They should be maintaining those good habits uh, at all times. And if you see bad habits being expressed during a longer swim, um, there's there's something wrong and you need to fix it. So, uh, And that's what kind of Bob was talking about here is that you want maximum effort, but uh, with excellent techniques. So in my notes here, I have finding deliberate practice. And that's one of the really big thing themes that keeps coming up in a lot of this discussion and podcast is how do you provide an opportunity for your swimmers to be deliberately improving at a certain scale? And if you're doing in these 10 minutes of swimming, how are you focusing on that skill? In my opinion, I'd probably do like two minutes of intense skill work of those 10 minutes and the other eight be aerobic endurance building. So, and this is from a developmental perspective, and I would even carry that into an age group perspective where I'm preparing them for races and regionals and state, I would say it's, it's probably better to do. And in my experience, it was really good to do, um, like 40% skill work, like high performance swimming and then 60% endurance work. So my sets would often be, uh, like two to four fifties and then like one, 200 kick or pull or, um, you know, something that was mindless, but aerobic, um, you know, getting their heart rate up and their, their active rest. And then we're going to reset with a really good high rest interval, but fast, um, like fifties or 25s of, of freestyle or breaststroke or fly or something where they get an opportunity to, uh, perform really, really well. But then whatever we do next, the kick or the swim is going to be the opposite muscle group. So they don't get exhausted with that um, and can't do their other thing well. Um, You know, they're getting tired, uh, but I'm providing the opportunity for deliberate practice. So how can you build deliberate practice into your program? Thinking about your sets in, in the reference of time spent doing something. So we're going to spend, you know, like 20 minutes on warm up or 10 minutes on warm up. And then we're going to do, you know, how do you break it up? And that like, for us at developmental two, it's 15 minute warm up, which is a introduction to, okay, this is like learning time. We're going to have a little bit of fun with the question of the day. Um, but you know, there's this, this routine we follow, we get into it and then it sets the tone for the practices to continue. It's going to be markedly different than the rest of, you know, hanging out time. It's not the same. It's a transition time between, when you're not at practice and when you are at practice. And then immediately after that warm up, when they're fresh, when their brains are fresh and they're in the groove of swim team, then we do our high learning set, right? Right at the beginning, immediately after practice. So that's two small groups uh, where we teach. And then they have to do 
five to ten streamlines with some sort of activity. So three, th like three times streamline plus something, that kind of format. Uh, and then we do our aerobic set. So it's kind of like 15 minutes of warm up, 10 to 12 minutes of learning, and then 20 minutes of um, aerobic technique. So an opportunity to practice the skill that we just did, but also building their endurance. So kicking or longer swims with fins or a series of 25s where we swim a little bit with deliberate practice and then we do something mindless afterwards. For example, two strokes of butterfly and then butterfly kick the rest of the 25. That's a good um, ratio, like 25% of the pool and then 75% of it is just endurance. Um, and then the last five to 10 minutes, we do challenges and games and stuff like that. So um, that's a good way to think about it in terms of minutes. Um, one of the big things that he also talked about was uh, how you set up your practices. So, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, so he, like there'll be days where like some of his groups have mandatory attendance. They, he said he went away from the come whenever you want format, which I don't necessarily agree with. Um, I think that there is a place for the casual swimmer that we should not be ignoring and that the people that are going to have this mindset are going to show up every day or whenever you offer it, or you're going to tell them, come on these days. Um, I, I do not agree with their um, Bob Bowman's discussion on requiring mandatory 100% practice Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Um, I just don't think it's an effective thing to do. Um, I think instead he should be, or well, I think instead for your program or, you know, do what is appropriate for your program. For us, I think we have two tracks. We have the casual track, the, the, you know, the amateur swimmer, and then we have the high intensity track. And if you want to make your high intensity program have required attendance practices, fine. I'm okay with that. But for a blanket statement, no, I think we should be flexible in order to encourage more people to participate and remove that stigma of, oh, it's swim team. I don't think I can do it. It's too intense for me. Um, I think we should provide an opportunity uh, for those people that maybe aren't doing swimming as their primary sport. You know, I mean, we want to aim them at that and that's our goal, but it shouldn't be our 100% focus. Um, we should provide that as an option, as a layer, but not uh, as a blanket statement. So, uh, but, what, but what my point in mentioning this is that Bob Oman talks about uh, moving between groups and there are no listed criteria between moving in between groups. He says the coaches discuss it and it's at the coach's discretion. So when the swimmer is ready, we'll tell you to move. Uh, and that's a, that's a pretty bold way to go about doing it. Um, I disagree with this as well. I see the reasoning behind it, but I don't agree with it because I think if a, a swimmer, people like to have measurable goals and I know it's a lot for the parents too, but people like to have measurable goals and we should be providing them with measurable goals. So can the swimmer do this test set? Can they demonstrate these certain skills? And then within those measurable goals, then we have some leeway in saying, well, you know, they do this, but they don't do that. Um, and then we can move them based on that. Uh, I like having targets for people to work at and I like letting parents know what's happening at practice. And, and this echoes a lot of what Goldberg was saying, Dr. Goldberg. Uh, is giving parents something specific to relate to. So therefore, they don't fill the void with nothing um, and come up with their own stuff. 
So, but one of the very interesting things that Bob Oman talked about was that when he was considering moving people between groups, they would implement something called visiting. And this was, uh, maybe the swimmer would swim three days a week with their normal group. So like developmental one, and then they would visit developmental two for one day of that week. And then over time, slowly increase the amount of time they were at the other group. So if they were doing three with their first group and one day with the other group, uh, maybe they would do two days with the other group and then they would just move them entirely. And this gives them an opportunity to demonstrate that they're ready and it gives them a, an opportunity to kind of be on their best behavior at the new group because they're just visiting for that day. So, uh, And I think it's a good way of, of showing how... Um, showing the swimmers that there's an opportunity here and we're opening the door. We're letting you in, but you got to prove to us that you're, you're, this is correct for you and that you deserve to be here. So I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, the, the concept of visiting, uh, was pretty neat too. Um, that's pretty much all the, the gist of his talk. And then he went into a long discussion on what sets he did. And I don't think that was very helpful or useful. Um, because, you know, sets are a dime a dozen. They're, they're all pretty much the same. The big thing that you need to take away from him is that uh, he spends he, his, his focus is on the best technique under stress and fatigue. So getting to that stage where you're giving them an opportunity to perform really well, even though they're tired. So for example, 10 400s um, on whatever interval they are, because um, that's what they do, right? So to go back when, when I was talking about how your previous group should prepare your swimmers for training, when he does 10 400s, it's not an issue because the group before him does eight 400s and the group before that does six 400s and the group before that does four 400s, you know? So there's layering in uh, ability and challenges in, in advance. Um, so I, I thought that was really interesting um, and good to hear about. Uh, so let's move on to Goldberg and how to get your parents involved. Um, I want to be, um, you know, let's, let's save this for another day. Um, because we're, we're button up onto 30 minutes here and I think Bob Bowman has a lot of information. Uh, let me just talk generally about, uh, Dr. Alan Goldberg. His main point here is that you can't have a successful program without the support and appropriate or proper participation of your parents. So remember that if, if a swim team is a triangle, one corner is the coaches, another corner is the, the swimmers, and the top corner, the one that sits at the pinnacle or the peak, are the parents. And they are the instrumental in having a successful program. They have to be on board. Just from a functional point of view, they have to be willing to help out and be a part of the team and establish the team so you can host things like swim meets, so you can do activities with your, your swim team uh, that build camaraderie and, and friendships and groups, like social activities. Um, you need to have them on board. They drive your swimmers to and from practice, especially if you're working with young kids. Uh, they pay for the program, you know. They have to be a part of it, and you can't just ignore them. And... Dr. Alan Goldberg talks about three different types of coaches. He talks about the coach that ignores parents and just hopes that um, they'll go away. 
the coach that uh, puts out fires, so just does nothing except respond to people when they freak out. And so you're always putting out fires because everyone's kind of getting into crisis mode over and over again because there's no information. And then there's the um, effective uh, educational proactive coach. So uh, these are the people that initiate the conversation with the parents in order to give them as much information as possible and bring them on board in a, in a appropriate manner instead of just ignoring them and letting whatever fantasy they concoct uh, run wild and rampant. Um, and this echoes back to Megan Gilbert from the mind side. Uh, and she talks about how, and I've referenced this often, if you're not giving the parents information and giving them what to think about and how to think, they're going to come up with it on their own and you're not going to like what they say because they're, they're parents. You know, they think they have their kids' own best interests at heart or they want their kids to succeed. Um, sometimes they're living vicariously or through their kids because it's what they want. Um, but that's going to color how they respond to you and you don't really, you're not really in control of that. But if you're forward facing, if you're sending out information, if you're interacting with them on a regular basis, if you're stepping in front of them and delivering your plan and your message, if you even have a plan and a message or a plan or a program or a progression, then they're, they're, they're not going to question or if they do question, you're going to have an answer and they're going to be on board with you and the message between you and the swimmer is going to be the same and then you're going to have a successful team. But if you're hiding and you're ignoring parents or if you're afraid to call them, then you're going to have problems. So I'm going to go more into depth in this uh, next week. Um, I do have planned uh, the autistic interview. Um, we're trying to get together this week. So uh, once that is refined and edited, it will be live. Uh, but we're going to break this up into three parts for uh, the Central States Clinic. And I'm going to give Dr. Ellen Goldberg's talk, Getting Parents to Work With, Not Against You, um, its own discussion here. I talked about Bob Owen for about 30 minutes. So uh, we're going to leave it at that. Um, it is Memorial Day. Uh, so I hope you are... Uh, having a good day off if you have one and that um, you send your respects and your um, thoughts and efforts do something for a veteran, um, whether you agree with the reasons behind that or uh, their involvement or not. Um, I do have the utmost respect for people that are willing to sacrifice their lives for the betterment of their country, regardless of the country that it is. Um, I think it's a good opportunity and a good reminder that uh, we don't live in the worlds we live in f without the sacrifice of blood and effort and sweat. So, um, you know, regardless of the reasons, they're still there and they are participating and uh, doing things f presumably for the betterment of everybody. So um, I, I take this time to kind of like give my shout out for veterans and people that are involved in the military and have died in sacrifice for, um, the country and for others, which is a noble cause. So, um, my hats off to them and keep an eye out for the autism interview and the next segment, part three of getting parents to work with not against you from Dr. Alan Goldberg from the central state swim clinic. 
All right. Take care. Thank you for listening. And tomorrow we can teach better lessons together. Take care. Thank you.